Welcome to the Business of Nonprofits podcast, where we enable candid discussions of nonprofit business transformation. I'm your host, Stacey Lund. Let's get started. Brought to you by TGR Management Consulting. All right. Hello, everyone. You're listening to the Business of Nonprofits. Today, we're talking to Promises to Kids, an organization serving the needs of foster and former foster youth about their scaling initiatives and how they pivoted during COVID. With me today is Stephanie Ortega. She's fabulous. She's their chief operating officer. Stephanie has been with Promises to Kids for 15 years. I think it's actually over that now. That's a long time in nonprofit language. And Stephanie's been instrumental both on the guardian scholars and program side of things and clearly in their general operational capacity. So thanks so much for being with us, Stephanie. We appreciate it. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Promises to Kids is a longstanding organization. What, 45, 50 years? Yeah, we were founded in 1981. So we've been around for over 40 years. We were first known as the Child Abuse Prevention Foundation. And the reason to that, there was actually a hotline for abused animals, but no hotline for abused children. And so we thought it was very important that we put that name out there, Big Bold Child Abuse Prevention Foundation. And over the years, we've done a lot of different work. We're really well known for building San Diego's emergency shelter, the AB and Jesse Polinsky Children's Center in 1994. And since then, we've really pivoted to always meet the needs of San Diego's foster children. So clearly you guys ranged in size. How big employee-wise are you? So when I started about 17 years ago now, we were about five people, I think, if I remember correctly. And now we're coming up to about 40. Okay. So scaling, scaling's been huge. And so you've been there roughly, I want to say like 40% of the life of the organization, which is tremendous. That's huge. And 40 people, that's a, that's a lot of people. It feels like a ton. I'm sure there's a million other organizations that are like, wow, 40 people. But for us going from five all the way up there, it's been a labor of love. It's been amazing to see the organization grow, but definitely a learning opportunity for myself and others in the organization. Okay. So let's get real about COVID, right? Because your organization is primarily face-to-face with these foster youth and former foster youth. So there's a lot of like touching and, you know, going out into the community, even in your fundraising side, which I think is super interesting. So set the stage pre-COVID. So let me bring a little bit of present time to what we do at Promises to Kids. Our mission is to create a brighter future for foster children. So it's that simple. We have the luxury of being a nonprofit in San Diego outside the government field. We're not predominantly funded by government money. And so we're able to meet the unique needs and fill the gap and pivot as needed. So uh, for the last decade or so, we've had four core programs. So we still fund services, the emergency shelter for the foster children who may have been removed from their home due to abuse and neglect, uh, areas like pet therapy, youth mentoring, health and wellness, things like that. We also do something called foster funds or something special. And it's really about providing those opportunities, tangible items, those something specials for foster youth to make sure that they fit in just with every other youth. They should be able to play on a soccer team, go to summer camp, get those really cool shoes they want for the first day of school and everything in between. We also have a program called Camp Connect. It's for those siblings that unfortunately are separated while in foster care. Of course, there are a number of reasons why siblings are separated, sometimes unavoidable, even though the county will work as hard as possible to keep them together, they have to be separated. And that's where Camp Connect comes in to make sure that that bond continues every day, all day as they move into adulthood from monthly activities, individual sibling set visits, 
We do a four-day summer camp, everything you can think of to keep that relationship alive and really just let them be kids. And then finally, we have our Guardian Scholars Program which supports current and former foster youth as they transition to adulthood to pursue post-secondary education or career, anything to really help them become independent, successful adults, especially as we live here in San Diego, where it's quite expensive. So that's a little bit about our programs, as short as I can be with our overview. So when COVID hit, it definitely was, was a shock. And it was really, you know, we really had to look at every angle to figure out how to support the youth, but we couldn't waste a moment because our youth were impacted just like we were, the employees were, as a result of COVID. And it was anything from suicidal ideations to complete isolation to failing out of school, right? I couldn't go to school. Everything was online and I don't learn well online. And what did we need to do to make sure that one, the youth were served in any way that they needed to overcome the challenges? And as a nonprofit, what did we need to do in the community to ask for help and let everybody know what was going on and see if we could receive the support to allow us to continue providing what was necessary for the current form of foster youth in our community. And at the same time, you were pivoting as well, sort of were essential in and out of the office. So we were not prepared for COVID at all. We definitely build our practices on in-person relationships, everything that is not in line with what we needed to do for COVID. So first of all, we had to figure out how to get our employees successfully working from home because we weren't doing that prior to COVID. So it was anything from computers to internet how are we going to talk to each other? And I might go into it a little bit, but Salesforce was happening almost at the same time. And thankfully it was, but it was everything you can imagine to run a business. We were trying to figure out how to do that and in light speed. So that was happening. And then we had to figure out how to see our youth. And to your point, yes, we were trying to keep on top of all the requirements and the protocol and gloves and disinfectant and everything you can think of, but also okay, what were we allowed or not allowed to do for all the current and former foster youth we were serving? And we do consider ourselves essential workers because we were oftentimes the only ones our students or young adults were calling. We were oftentimes the only ones that had resources to go bring out to them. And we definitely pushed boundaries a little bit in, you know, in accordance with what was happening with COVID, but getting as creative as possible to keep in touch with our youth and keep that relationship going as much as possible. So it was anything from roll down the window, and somebody in the other car rolled down the window and talked that way to, you know, having the virtual meetings, to sending care packages, newsletters, and everything in between. It's super interesting that you bring up the drive-by car thing because, you know, I have a 13-year-old and the face-to-face piece of this is huge. It really is. Talk a little bit about Camp Connect because I always forget, and I shouldn't, that that is one of your programs. How did you handle that during covid Yeah, so Camp Connect was definitely a hard one to figure out the creativeness to make it happen. Uh, We weren't allowed to continue most of our programming, our traditional programming, like going to Disneyland, having a sleepover at SeaWorld or at summer camp in Julian. So we had to cancel a lot over the last couple of years. What we did increase is what we call the sibling set visit. So this was really about who are the brothers and sisters in one family group? 
And how can we make sure that that group, that individual family is getting together as much as possible? So it was a lot of coordination because first we had to talk to the social worker, the caregivers, anybody else in that family's life. It's a safety issue with regard to COVID. Who's sick? Is everybody okay? Is everybody generally healthy? Who's vaccinated? Who's not? Is there anything that we should be worried about? We took it upon ourselves as an organization to say, we're going to make that sibling set and the visits and the relationship our priority in the chaos of COVID and figure out how we can get creative. And so we would buy things like scooters and take them to the park. And we had masks for every single child. And we figured out drop-offs. So if they couldn't share cars together, they weren't riding together, but they were six feet apart on the playground waving, but just sharing space, right? Just being at the same playground, even if it was just the eyeballs, but seeing their sibling and riding scooters down the sidewalk. And that was what we thought was needed even at that time. And so thankfully, we are back and able to get these sibling sets together as often as possible. And just Saturday, they went to the San Diego Zoo and had a blast. Oh, that's awesome. So you're full speed ahead. Yes, we don't waste a minute to continue our programming and get it back on track. (laughs) Did you do Camp Connect this summer? We did do Camp Connect this summer. Four-day summer camp came back for the first time in a couple of years. The kids were so excited because most of them go every single year. So they know exactly what summer camp is. It was much smaller purposely to make sure that we had the right ratio, that where everybody was sleeping was as safe as possible. We had an entire protocol um, with nurses and the county to make sure that safety related to COVID was first and foremost. Okay. So in the midst of COVID and pivoting your programs, you were in the middle of your Salesforce implementation fairly early-ish in your implementation. So set the stage for what you had wanted to get out of the Salesforce implementation and maybe how you sort of had to change that up. Yeah. (laughs) It was such a large endeavor. So glad that we did it. But it was a little bumpy and scary along the way. So we had two different systems that we were using to track the work we do. We had the philanthropic development side and we had the program side. And as we began growing, it really wasn't possible to have two different systems. We weren't able to communicate and really about best practices. We wanted to create one system. And so we decided to go with Salesforce. And so we had started in a phased approach. Sometimes it was rushed because we needed it to be, but we started with development or philanthropy and really got that kind of up and running right when about COVID hit. And so at least we had people in it. We had been working in the system. So for myself, I knew kind of what to expect. But when COVID hit, we were still moving towards getting volunteers and programs in the system. So that was a bit bumpy because the shift in mindset, because it forced us to think from a different perspective and what we needed and what that communication looked like. And so we were able to roll out Salesforce with the programs and volunteer side during COVID. And it allowed them the communication to really work in our favor as, you know, there were challenges with youth or anything like that. We could communicate with the entire team and everybody could hop in there. So it's sort of form followed function, right? You had to do it because you needed a way, a platform to make those things happen. That's super interesting. I know there were challenges along the way. Were there things looking back that you wish you knew then that you had done differently? I guess. I think that... It would have been helpful 
to learn the volunteer side of Salesforce a little bit more as we were putting it in there because we're focusing a lot on philanthropy and programs. And I think volunteers was a little bit, it almost fell through the cracks a little bit. We got everything in there and really worried about it, but then we couldn't really connect the dots. And so we're still trying to really perfect that side of things and still improve there. Well, and even your fundraising had to pivot. You guys are a huge fundraiser in San Diego. Like you can't turn around without seeing promises to kids somewhere. So you you really had to, because of COVID, it wasn't in-person events, which also were your jam. You are a relationship organization. That's how you build your support. So you literally were flying the plane and building it at the same time. Yes, we definitely were. And we had to have some fundraisers online, which we had never done before. And then again, thankfully, Salesforce was in place because there was a lot of connections that made life a little bit easier. But we as an organization were learning technology as we were going. I'll speak for myself in this situation. I am not that good with technology. And well, I had to really learn quickly. So some things went well, some things didn't go well. We usually just laugh it off with the youth because they're the young ones teaching us how to do things better. But we we hung in there. We hung in there and had fun with it. But we have had to figure out how to make it work. Like I said, in the beginning, it was what do our youth need? And so we have to share that with our amazing donors and supporters to let them know how we were pivoting, why. Uh, what the big needs were for the foster care community and sort of ask for their help to support the youth. And thankfully, San Diego is such a supportive community. And we're so grateful because we have been able uh, to meet the needs and, and keep things going well. How did you communicate to your team? So internally, we knew the change management piece was going to be challenging, right? It always is when there's a lot of tech, especially if there's members of the team who maybe are more comfortable So talk a little bit about how you sort of got the team bought in before disaster struck. Like, I feel like after disaster struck, everyone was like, the sky is falling. And so everyone threw up their hands. But talk a little bit about how you teed it up to the team. And then maybe how did you communicate in the midst of chaos about how successful or successes you were seeing? Well, I think when we were ready to roll out Salesforce, when we asked for your help and expert help to make sure that we could do it, um, without that, we definitely couldn't have done it. And like I said, I'm not good at technology, but there's just a you know, certain type of person that can do this and, and we needed that support. So we were so glad to have it. Myself and our CEO, Tanya Tarosian, we also went to the, the Salesforce conference in San Francisco prior to starting. And I think that in some ways, it helped us understand what we were embarking upon and understand the nuances of it and also bring back excitement to our organization. So we were able to come back and talk about all these cool things that would help us do our job and be efficient and more productive and get better outcomes. So I think we were able to share that. And one of the things that came from that are trailblazers. So we then created a team within our team to help spearhead this effort. And it just allowed others to have a voice at the table, kind of train the trainers and just have skin in the game. And along with that, it was the regular, I think, training and report out that you helped us with, with this is how it works. Let's try it. Let's get in the sandbox and really see what we like and don't like. And it helped us see who was ready, right? Those that were more eager to get in the sandbox, for example, versus those that maybe weren't doing it. But that helped give us insight as to what we needed to do at the office. Who did we need to talk to more about it? What did we need to bring up at team meetings? So it was insightful along the way. 
And then, like I said, we did the first phase with the development or philanthropic side of the team. And so that was our practice round. So then when COVID hit, not only were we pivoting to figure out how to support the youth, but then pivoting to figure out how we were going to roll out the program side of things. And so we were able to use some of our experience prior. And then like everybody, it was learning what do we need to do to build a team? And so what type of communication were we having via email on our staff meetings? What tools did we need? What extra, hey, don't forget to get up and go for a walk or let's have a little bit of a bring your own drink and hang out together for 15 minutes. But all of it was with the idea of community and relationship and showing them how we could do it as an organization to, in turn, also do that with our supporters and the youth we serve. I have to plug the Trailblazer concept one more time because that was your and Tony's brainchild. It was a phenomenal concept and it really did help reinforce the change, even pre-COVID. And I think everyone, you know, kind of plays that game where I don't want to get into the new system. I don't want to be the first one in. I don't want to do it first. But that group was the support that everybody needed to really make that happen. That was tremendous. Talk a little bit about your planning, because I know you don't really want to toot your own horn on this, but talk about the pre-work because you were very deliberate yourself in going to a Six Sigma class, like really looking at what needed to change in the organization before the system happened. I've been here about 17 years now. And in the beginning, we could all do a little of everything. It could be in our head. So we didn't need all these policies and procedures. We kind of had our own job, but then we could easily cross over and it was all hands on deck at certain things and it was no big deal. And as we grew with everybody, you then say, well, how come you're not doing it that way? I thought I told you that. Nope, I didn't tell you that. Or And it was just this realization that everything needed to come out of our heads and needed to be put on paper. And I did a horrible job at that. Uh, There's another team member, Rashida Harris, and she had to kind of pull a lot of stuff out of me and helped put things on paper. But as we did progress, one of the things myself and, and a few other teammates did is we participated in USD's Lean Six Sigma project. And this was a semester long course for nonprofits in San Diego. Uh, and I was able to earn my green belt in Lean Six Sigma, which was fun. Could put some letters behind my name. And the whole concept, if I were to sum it up from my point of view, you know, you have a problem. And so you have a goal to fix that problem. And what are the steps that you need to do to get there? And how do you assess along the way um, and pivot, make changes? And then once you do figure out what solution you want to put in place at this time, how do you continuously look at then editing and pivoting, which is exactly what we do here at Promises without even knowing we were doing that before I did Lean Six Sigma, right? So I've been continuously trying to improve my methods of organizing and planning. Um, And it's not easy because we move very fast, right? We have youth that need help now. And so going back to that manual we had, either, you know, you can't get to it fast enough or it doesn't actually address the exact situation you're dealing with. So we're constantly improving and looking at it, but I think we've made great strides. I think we still have some more room to grow and we will, but we are formalizing it a little bit better. I love the fact that your organization, you know, 45-year organization, you could just sort of pull a GE and sit on your laurels, right, until it's too late and now you have to divest half the organization just to make your budget. And you guys don't do that. You really buy into the whole always improving methodology. And it may not be as fast as you want it to be, 
right? I know some of you are more impatient than others, but it really does make you a stronger org, right? And COVID sort of proved that out. The type of business we have here, the type of programming, our kind of essence to our organization is never about standing still and stagnant, even if we have great success with certain things. But there's always more to be done. There's always an unmet need. And so we always have to consider what's next. And I I don't think I had the words to describe that until I participated in Lean Six Sigma, um, gave some insight to what that is. But it also, as an employee at Promises to Kids, It's fun. There's never a day that's the same as the day before. And I take great pride in the ability for a young person who's in the foster care system to say, I need this. And to be able to say, great, let's figure out how to support you. And because we're such relationship focused, that's what matters, right? Just because we are a nonprofit with programs and services We're really just about what every child should benefit from, whether you are in the foster care system or not. So I'm glad that I get to work here and be able to do that. So if you were going to give advice to an organization who was going to take on something like Salesforce, what would your your nugget of wisdom piece of advice be? Take your time, find the people who are the experts and utilize those people. We have to, have to, have to, don't do it on your own. And I think just remember that it's going to take some time to get it perfect. You're not going to, you know, tie the bow and it's all going to be there. You're going to continuously be working on it in a good way. Salesforce is one of those systems where it's forever, right? It's the Golden Gate Bridge. You really are going to constantly be adapting to it. So thank you, Stephanie. I can't say thank you enough for for talking to us about promises. I could go on about this organization forever. They're a phenomenal organization. Stephanie does not give herself enough credit. Uh, But the thing that I love about them is their commitment and the mission of of them as a nonprofit. They literally look for whatever business steps they need to take to make those things happen and make those relationships stronger, which is so huge. Stephanie, anything you want to add for our listeners? They'd like to find out more about you please visit promisestokids.org to learn more about what we do. And if you're interested to volunteer or donate, please do. And thank you to you guys for helping us um, along the way. You've been just such an asset and a resource and friend. And I'm so grateful for everything. Thanks so much. For those of you listening, we hope you enjoyed hearing about Promises to Kids and their journey. Be sure to subscribe or leave us a review. And if you have a suggestion or would like to be a guest, please contact us at podcast at tgrmanagementconsulting.com. On behalf of my producer, Sam and I, we will see you next time. Hello, my name is Tiffany Rosick, CEO of TGR Management Consulting. We help you do good work better.